Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of the Four Glory Podcast. My name is Adam. I'll be your game master, host, narrator, director, antagonist, guide, uh, friend, lover? Who knows? Well, I'm very excited to share with you this adventure through Paizo's The Abomination Vaults. Together with my dear friends CJ, Dio, Greg, and John, I hope to provide you with an engaging tale of four misfits from a small town who set off to explore an ancient ruin full of mystery, danger, excitement, and the kind of humor you'll only find sitting at a gaming table with your pals. Along the way, our heroes, um, our protagonists, will discover things about their histories, families, and themselves right along with you, the listener. While this is the very first episode, and the beginning of the story, we have recorded a few vignettes of backstory that'll pop up here and there. These segments contain interactions that the other players don't know about, so they'll be hearing them for the first time right when you do. And what fun is an RPG campaign without a few secrets? So, as a warning up front, I want to let you know, this podcast will include some swearing, adult humor, and descriptions of fantastical blood, violence, and gore. Some episodes, we'll dive into topics of things like mental illness and suicide, ableism, body horror, and human experimentation. Don't get too worried. We'll let you know ahead of time at the beginning of any episode that's going to contain that kind of thing. That way you can mentally prepare yourself for it. Now, this is the first foray into the podcast world for each and every one of us here. So on behalf of the team, let me just say thank you for checking out our show. I truly hope you enjoy it. If you do, or even if you don't, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at fourglorypod at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R glorypod at gmail.com. And I will personally read whatever you have to say. So thanks again. Without further ado, I present to you... The Abomination Vaults. After following the gaunt trail for about a mile through the woods, the trees begin to thin out and the footpath begins to soften under your step. You look to the sky, expecting to see the warm orange light of the setting sun painted across the clouds. But instead, there's only a seemingly impenetrable dull gray fog. The sticky sweet stench of rotting vegetation pervades the dense mist that perpetually clings to the air in the swamp known as the fog fen. The sound of frogs and mosquitoes mixes with the sloshing of mud sucking at your boots as a shadow emerges from the cloying swamp vapors. A sprawling ruin of stone and wood squats atop an island in the soggy marsh. The upper floors have largely collapsed, leaving only the stone walls of the ground floor intact. Above these ruins towers an out-of-place monument, a colossal lighthouse whose painted walls and iron-cased crown have somehow resisted the corrosive effects of the surrounding swamp for nearly 500 years, if the legends are true. 
This is your destination, Gauntlight Keep. Now that you're this close, you can see the pallid blue glow coming from the ancient tower at the Keep's center. It looks like Rin was right. As you progress towards the southern gatehouse, which guards the bridge to the island fort, three figures coalesce out of the fog. These must be the others that she told you about. From the fog steps a man in plain leather armor, wearing a mustard-colored cloak with a weathered look about him. A tired expression is written on his fair-skinned face, as his emerald-green eyes dart between the three figures. Cautiously, he approaches them. Oi! The three that Rin told me about! You suddenly took your time getting here. Before him stands a two-feet-tall poppet, with her arms crossed. She wears a deep navy blue uniform, and on her neck is a cravat made of lace. Her black mohair wig is pulled into a ponytail with a similarly colored blue ribbon. The left side of her beast face is covered in cracks. Besides her, a large shepherd mutt sits at attention. Yeah, my apologies. I wasn't expecting you all to be so punctual. He looks towards the other two. How about you two? What's your story? Meeting his gaze will be a very slender figure, but a, a kindly smile. Stepping forward, uh, Gwillem will say, Well, you may be late, but I'm certainly glad you're all here. I'm always surprised when... Humans aren't so punctual. You only have so much time, after all. So you see a, a very tall and burly fellow with almond skin and short platinum white hair. He scratches at his scruffy beard, looks away, and proceeds to fiddle with his fingers. And this is Borwin. Gwillem will kind of interject seeing Borwin you know, kind of shy away. Uh, Borwin isn't a man of many words, but uh, he is a stout friend. And he will stare at Jack and just nod. Uh, my name is Gwillem. I am here to assist as much as I can, but also to learn as much as I can. If you see anything strange inside, I do ask you let me study it. How are you? Oh, I'm doing all right, I suppose. <sniffs> Name's Jack. His eyes turn towards the poppet, not too sure what to make of her. He says, And who are you? You may call me V. Gwilym would just respond, <clears throat> You know, Rin, she likes to collect her curiosities. I don't imagine that uh, the group she collected to go on this little trip would be any less curious. Curiosities, indeed. Sensing the awkwardness in the air, Jack clears his throat and he says, <clears throat> I take it we're all here for that. And he points out to the blue light coming up from the lighthouse. Well, I think we have been told that we're all here for different things. I'm assuming Rin did a, a reading for you as well. Yeah, she did. And may I ask, how much do you put in on that sort of thing? A lot more than one might expect. Let me just say that I've seen a lot of things that she said happen, so she made a believer out of me. 
if that makes any sense. Hmm. She can be persuasive. Well, I suppose we should figure out who wants to go in first. Corwin's going to rise up, then start to proceed towards the entrance. Uh, v will follow along after him, seeing that they're going to move. Does your dog stay right by you? Yep. Uh, Henry will follow along beside her. Jack is going to be taken aback by everyone's eagerness to suddenly just go in, and he's going to call out, oh, Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we go inside, we should probably make sure that we're prepared first. As you say that, Borwan reaches for his back, and you see the giant axe, beautifully adorned at the handle. You didn't come prepared when you came here? Oh, no, no, I came prepared. You may prepare all you want, but of course there will always be certain variables you can't predict. Oh, trust me, I agree. I just wanted to get an idea of what to expect from each other. Big guy, carries axe, smashes things. Kinda got that. And V, I'm assuming you stab. Oui, she uh, pulls out her lance. I've got a pretty good range on this thing. He turns to Gwillem and he says, And I'm sorry, uh, Gwiblin, you said, right? Uh, what do you do again? Gwillem. Gwillem is my name, and, um, well, yes, I do magic. It's not so much what I can do, it's what I can do for you. You see, I would like to help others achieve more than what they could on their own. And, uh, should you become injured, I have extensive knowledge on how to uh, assist and help you feel better. Well, what I bring to this group would be this. I'm very sharp-minded, I can find things quick, and I can strategize on the fly. Ah, fellow student, may I ask, uh, what is it that you have studied? I've studied quite a bit of the occult. And language. Ah, a linguist as well. Tell me, what languages do you know? Tolden, as, you know, everyone else here. I also know Old Dwarven, Elvish, uh, Orcish, and Uncommon. And Sylvan, the language of the Fae. Almost delighted, Gwilym will say in Sylvan, Ah, so you do know quite a bit. I am excited to be able to speak in some languages I've not spoken in some time. Now, I, I do know Undercommon, but I don't always know Undercommon. So I will, I will enjoy some practice. You can actually see Jack light up a little bit at that as he responds back in Sylvan. Oh, I... Didn't quite expect this. This this is great. It's, it's not often I get to meet someone as linguistic as I am. Switching back to the common tongue, Gwillem will respond. Ah, well, I, I do appreciate you helping everybody uh, acquaint themselves a little bit further. Shall we get back to the task at hand? Right. Definitely. Borwin 
hearing that, proceeds to uh, move forward. What does he see here? As you move towards the outbuilding, you see it's roughly about 10 feet high, probably about 30 foot wide, 30 feet deep, made out of strong, sturdy gray stone. Uh, Rumors say this has been here for probably about 500 years, and it looks like people have been here. Somebody's squatted here. You know, there's graffiti. It's dirty. It looks very old. There's mold on the walls and, and plants creeping up the sides, ivy and clovers and stuff everywhere. Like, it's uh, not completely like nature has taken it back, but it, it's well on its way. We move forward, and it looks like there used to be some large doors here, but they're gone. And how bright is it inside? Is it? Can we see inside okay? No, definitely not. I should have I should have told you guys about that. You guys all got here right around nightfall, so it's pretty dark. Also, the fog blocks out much of the moonlight, so it's not very easy to see for anybody that doesn't have dark vision. As the the doorway opens here and Gwillem can see inside that it's, you know, there's it's not lit, there's nothing um really helping people see, uh he will move his staff uh and call out Gola, and he will light up the stone that is within his staff. The branches are wrapped around a little gemstone, and uh, that will now emit a bright light because I've cast the light spell. So I've set it up in roll 20. Your character's vision should be what you're able to see uh, with regards to light and uh, walls and doors and any kind of openings like that. Now with uh, having a bit more visibility, Borwin will step inside and look at his surroundings. To make sure that uh, the light stays close and uh, Borwin's able to see, Gwillem will follow right behind. He will follow along inside. Henry is lingering a little bit outside until V calls him in. Jack will follow in from behind and he will immediately start looking around to see if there's anything out of place. And I would like to use my investigator ability. That's odd. Okay, what's that do? So basically, when I enter a new location, I can immediately notice one thing out of the ordinary. Okay, so you automatically get a little a little clue every time you enter a new area. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. So, entering this room, what you see is fairly ancient remains of a couple of wooden chairs. The entire ceiling is just caked with cobwebs, but you're able to see there's some wood suspended from vines beyond the cobwebs. The cobwebs are... uh, Borwin, you're pretty tall, right? How how tall is Borwin? He is about 6'3". 6'3", okay. So yeah, these, these are just above your head. Jack, you're able to see through part of it and see this this wooden kind of uh, drop ceiling above the cobwebs. But the rest of you notice these rotten husks of ancient chairs, uh, piles of dust and uh, scampering little bugs and insects creeping and crawling all around. You see clumpy piles of something gray littered about in here. This room smells pretty awful rotten and funky. The four of you enter together. Uh, can I get everybody to roll perception? Okay. 
Jack rolled a 21. V got a 6. Gwillem's got an 8. Alright. Borwin rolled an 18. Okay, cool. So, looking around, you see swaths of mildew and mold covering the damp surfaces of the watchtower. It appears like green and black smears all over the dull stone walls. To the north, you see a wooden door. It's gray with age. It looks ancient, swollen, been there for 500 years. You know that already. Jack and Borwin are both able to hear a voice. Jack can pinpoint that it's coming from up above. Otherwise, the way it kind of echoes around this room, it's hard to pinpoint. With those, uh, the eight and the six, Gwillem and V, you don't really make it out too well. It's kind of blends in with the ambient noise. Jack, you're able to understand this. This the, the voice is speaking in undercommon. So, Borwin, unfortunately, you you don't, but you can hear it clearly. And the voice says, "Oh, uh, welcome to our parlor. It's been uh, so long since we've had guests. Uh, make yourselves at home on the uh, <laughs> uh, the chairs." Jack immediately freezes as he looks up. He points up towards the rafters, trying to get the others to look up where he's pointing. Orwin would already be staring in that direction. V looks up and she grips her weapon tighter. Oh, you're not going to sit? Uh, okay, well, uh, you know... <clears throat> well, you got the... Uh, we prepared a, a feast for you of uh, our uh, uh, fairy cakes. <laughs> Uh, it's the uh, gray stuff there. <laughs> Jack replies back in undercommon, saying, Who are you? Show yourself! Uh, uh, the jig is up. So with that, everybody should roll initiative. So, uh, initiative's a little bit different in Pathfinder 2nd Edition than it is in pretty much every other game I've ever played. So... Based off of what you're doing when you go into combat or any kind of encounter that needs to be tracked precisely, like an initiative situation, um, whatever actions you are taking before that begins determines what you would roll for your initiative. So if you're sneaking, you can roll stealth instead of your regular initiative. If you're in the middle of a conversation, you could roll diplomacy in this situation or intimidation maybe, or deception if you're trying to lie to somebody. Normally you would roll perception, so that's always an option. So, let's get these guys in the initiative order. So, Gwillem rolled a 9 for initiative. B rolled a 15. Borwin rolled a 13 for his initiative. I think I'm going to cut this part out, but I'd like to say that, uh, you know when we uh, did initiative last week, I rolled a nat 1, and I rolled a nat 1 again. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's just right. I, I did a lot worse with my initiative last time. Gotta keep it I'm consistent. I'm like, now I don't know what to if do If there's now. one thing that's consistent, it's at least my shitty rolls. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Let me go ahead and do my thing. Oh, that's fine. I'm, some of that's going to make it in. <clears throat> give me my initiative here. Jack rolled a five. There we go. Now that we got initiative set. Let me go ahead and pull up that battle music. Bop, bop, bop. <laughs> <laughs> Is this an oh, 80s so fight dramatic. video? Yeah, this, this, uh, I don't know if this battle music or, uh... It says D&D battle music. <laughs> okay, alright. Well, yeah, and I don't know where Robocop... Shale Crow yeah, is about right? to yeah, come Robocop, and yeah, her hair around. Like, <laughs> Robocop's gonna pop up and shoot a dude in the in the junk. Like Just that one. in the name of the law. I was back to guns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> alright. 
I don't even remember how I left off, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna. You said roll for initiative. Just yeah. Well, yeah, I remember roll for initiative, but <laughs> so having realized that you're not gonna fall for their ruse, uh, they spring into action. Down from the ceiling drops two little hideous blue creatures. They are probably uh, I'd go about uh, two and a half feet tall. And they've got gigantic ears, a gigantic nose, little beady yellow eyes. They're wearing ragged leather clothing, and they've got real big knives. They promptly move to attack the person in the front here. So this is going to be Borwin. So let's roll some attacks. Does a 17 hit your AC? No. How about a 22? It does. So one of them swings and misses, the other one moves around to the side and attacks you as well, swings low towards your thigh and gets you. We're uh, a whopping now, one point of damage. Now, as a paladin, I have a reaction that I can use when a friendly character next to me gets attacked. I have a retributive strike, so I can shield for three damage, and I also get to make my own attack. Red, okay, so you take no damage, so... As the thing moves to attack you, uh, V steps forward and parries the blow. And an attack on him. Does a 22 hit. Oh, yeah, 22 definitely hits. Nice. That'd be 11 damage. Oh, you'd kill it. So the thing attacks and you parry the blow and then drive straight through the thing and kill it dead. Shish kebablin. <laughs> Uh, well, that brings it actually to your turn. So, V, go ahead. All right. Now that there's this other guy on the floor, she will move around to get onto the other side of him, darting around quickly, and she will make another attack on this guy. Now that she is flanking, she gets a bonus. Yeah, it counts as flat-footed, so it's going to be yeah. too higher than normal. So that's going to be a 21 to hit. Oh, yeah, plenty. And there'll be 8 damage. 8 damage. So you hit him pretty good, but he's still up. I got one more action. You did one to move, one to attack. You got uh, one more. What do you want to do with your third? I think... Because I am a helpful poppet. That is a... Uh, a ancestry feat. If I aid a person... That will give me a plus two to the roll to aid. Okay. So I'd like to aid in the next attack against this creature. You're trying to hit a 20. So go ahead and make an attack roll. Add two to it. And now since this isn't an actual attack, it doesn't suffer from that multiple attack penalty. It's not going to be enough. I only got, I rolled a nine, so that's only going to be an 11. Ah, okay. Yeah, so unfortunately it does not help him. Uh, moving on to the next person in line, there's going to be Borwin. Go ahead. Mm. Borwin is going to swing his axe at the creature in front of him. Okay, cool. Give me an attack roll. And Borwin rolled a 21. 21 is plenty. How much damage are you doing? He's going to be dealing 12 damage. 12 damage, that is more than enough. You swing your axe and you lift the thing off the ground and slam it into the wall as it splits in two. Cool, that was one action. You still got two more. Perception would be a free action, right? 
I'm trying to see if the coast is clear, if there's anything else in the area. Is that seek? Well, yeah, that is one action. Yeah, I'll do that. Okay, yeah, if you're going to seek and I close my thing, what's your modifier for perception? My modifier for perception is six. So you're able to see up through the cobwebs again on the ceiling, on those wooden panels that are suspended up there from the vines. You're able to see another one of these little blue creatures scrambling, and it looks like it's making its way towards a hole in the roof. So you still have one more action. Um, how far is the thing? Uh, is this creature away from me? Oh, maybe 15 feet laterally, and then it's up 10. So whatever that is, so maybe 20ish. We'll call it 20. Ooh. So I couldn't do any kind of jump attack or anything. Uh, I don't think you'd be able to get up there. Boren is going to point upwards towards the direction of the creature. Yeah, so you're able to point it out. Everybody knows where it is. They can't see it, but they know where it's at. That's all of you guys. And then it's actually that creature's turn. It's going to scamper up onto the roof through that hole in the ceiling. So next up is going to be Gwillem. So there's no longer any creatures down here that we can see, and I've been told there is something up above, correct? Correct. Okay, um, not being able to really see anything himself, uh, Gwillem is actually going to go ahead and lift open the cover to his knapsack that he carries uh, over his shoulder at his waist, and out will come Rupert, the familiar for Gwillem, will fly uh, right up to the hole to see if he can figure out w what's going on. Okay, so Rupert flies up through that hole. Wait, well, first off, what the hell is Rupert? So, I'm so glad you asked. Rupert is, uh, like I said, the familiar for Gwillem, uh, is, is a skunk, mostly. Um, the head of a skunk, the body of a skunk, so you get uh, the black body of a skunk with the white stripe from from head to tail, you get the bushy tail of the skunk, but the forelimbs, the front legs, are that of a primate, able to grab and grasp. So Rupert also has a set of beautiful hawk's wings that he uses to fly through the air. Okay, so uh, he's a mess. Got it. All right, so uh, <laughs> takes off, flies up, aerial acrobatics through the cobwebs, dodging the wooden planks and the vines up through that hole. So he's up and away. The way mechanically it works here in Pathfinder is they have the minion trait, so they gain two actions in a round if I spend one action to command them. So I'm guessing you're spending the one action to command him. Yep. Um, and then up, up, he goes. You're not able to, like, perceive through his senses or anything like that, are you? No, no, uh, not yet. What else? You got two more. Uh, yeah, Gwillem will actually just use the next two actions of his turn to uh, just look up and, and wait. Okay. So that brings us to Jack. So there's not a whole lot that Jack can do right now with no active threat in front of him. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to do a recall knowledge check on this creature to try and figure out what it is. Yeah, sure. Okay, what are you trying to learn from this creature? Mainly what it is and what defenses it might have. Let's see, we're going to roll here for your recall knowledge. And you do have the appropriate skill. 
looking at the blue skin of this thing, you have, through your research that you've done, uh, when you had uh, a lot of time to spend reading books, you recognize this thing as a type of gremlin. Uh, it's a fey creature, uh, like, a, like a fairy, but uh, much more menacing. But your knowledge of the defenses of these things tells you that it's not very strong of mind. We'll say that. Okay. Alright. So, with this knowledge, Jack is going to frown as he stares at this thing. And he says to the group, Eyes up! These things are gremlins! They're weak of mind! And with my final action, I guess I'm going to seek to keep an eye out to see if this thing comes back. Okay, let me do a roll there for you. You're able to see where Borwin had pointed out that it was crawling through the ceiling. You're able to make out where that hole is, but you don't see the creature anymore. It looks like it's up and through there, but uh, if it comes back in, you're going to be looking in the right place for it. All right, we'll, we'll stop the fight here. And then what was the command that you had told Rupert to do? Uh, so I had told Rupert to um, just go up and I don't want him to chase it. I just want him to see if Rupert will know where he went, where he ran off to. So I guess, yeah, Rupert's seeking. Cool, gotcha. All right, so so Jack steers out through the hole, waiting for the creature to come back through. And the first thing that you see if it returns through that hole is Rupert. He flies back in and comes back to you. Now, do you are you able to talk to Rupert? Or how does that work? How does communication work between you two? Um, I guess uh, as well as any communication between a person and their pet works. Um, he isn't able to speak. I'm not able to speak skunk to him. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't speak. You guys don't have like a telepathic bond or anything like that? No, no, we do not. I really, uh, Gwillem will just react based off of the emotional state of Rupert, you know, how he is reacting and, and feeling. But he's got like a, like, like monkey hands, right? That's right. Okay, cool. So Rupert comes back in and kind of perches up on, what does he perch on your arm, your shoulder, what does he do? Uh, very often on my left shoulder, yeah. So he flies in and perches up on your left shoulder and starts making gestures with his hands. They're kind of clumsy and, and imprecise, but basically he's pointing uh, up through that hole. He seems... Eh, he doesn't seem upset. He seems, he seems okay. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how he seems. What do you, what would you, what, how does he seem? What does he, what do you think? <laughs> well, uh, is there, was there any <laughs> danger when he went up there? Yeah, no, 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 not dangerous. Um, it's casual. I don't know. He, he's eating a bag of chips. No, all right, we're going to cut all this. Yeah, the little gremlin came in in a business casual yeah, that day. He comes back in, somehow he's wearing a tie. Nobody knows. Uh, but he, he flies in, lands on your shoulder, and he points up through that hole in the ceiling. Okay, so um, obviously Gwillem knows that there was something up there. Um, he's getting from Rupert here that it went through the hole. Um, Rupert came back pretty quickly, so I am assuming that whatever it was continued to go um, and isn't a threat. Rupert would be acting quite erratically if he had been attacked or swiped at or, or, or anything oh, like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, he looks totally fine. Yeah, okay, whatever, okay. The, the, that gremlin that he was chasing had... No interest in interacting with him. 
Okay, so as Rupert comes in, is quite calm and is just pointing, you know, up to where he had gone in and come back from. Gwillem will say, Well, Rupert says the coast is clear. What have you learned over there, Jack? So it looks like we're dealing with gremlins. They're a type of fake creature from the first world. Jack's going to stand up and still keep looking around. They may look like goblins, but they aren't. They're much more mischievous, nasty little things. I dare say they aren't much of a match for V, though. That was quite some handy work. Or we will also look at V and nod as well. V's a, a little taken aback by the, the compliments. <laughs> and just, uh... Just kind of, like, straightens up a little and just nods. So, uh, what do we move on to from here? I should not like to go up through this ceiling. Um, what should we glean from this room before moving on? Well, if you don't mind me taking a quick look around. And I'm going to search the room. Uh, you search around. You know, I'm not going to make you roll anything. Um... There's not a ton to find here. You've got the rotten out chairs, you got the uh, nasty smelling gray stuff, and you got the doors on the north side of the building. I want to take a look at this gray stuff you're talking about. There's a couple of piles of, of uh, foul smelling gray mud, it looks like, uh, scattered about the floor. I suppose there isn't any kind of check that Jack could roll to try and figure out what this is. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's uh, go ahead and roll uh, nature. Oh, okay. For me. Oh, oh, I got to roll this. Ooh, yeah, fancy. you can see. One nature roll coming right up. That would be a twenty. Yeah, twenty is good enough to tell you that these uh, little foul-smelling gray heaps of like mud that are scattered about this room are uh, gremlin shit. They're gremlin shit. This is basically a gremlin bathroom that you guys are in. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jack is pointing, well, not really pointing, but like poking the gray stuff with the point of his rapier, trying to figure out what this is, until like, it just dawns on him, and he just recoils back a little bit in disgust, and he just stands and clears his throat. <clears> throat> oh, I, I don't think there's anything much else in here. And he just starts walking towards the door. Well, uh, the pile that you were poking through, you happened to hit something hard in there. All right. What is this hard thing that Jack poked? Uh, well, you kind of slide it out of the pile with your tip of your rapier. It's uh, uh, appears to be like a like a bead uh, and a couple of uh, broken teeth. Well, that tires it. So don't touch this gray stuff. It's poop. <laughs> you don't have to ask me twice. <laughs> well, then let's move on. I, I, sh I shouldn't want to linger. V will whistle for Henry to come in now that the danger is gone. You know, when, when Rin was telling me to investigate the lighthouse with the others, I wasn't expecting to see poop with teeth. Oh my god. Okay. 
After Jack searches through the feces and questioning his life choices, he approaches the door. <laughs> okay, there we go. Um, I like that. So you approach the double doors. They're swollen with moisture from the humidity in the air, and they're gray with age. They don't appear to be locked. Jack is going to turn to his companions and nod as he pushes the door open. You try to push the door open, but the wood is swollen from all the humidity in the air. It finally yields to your the force of your push. The door tears right off of the hinges and hits this drawbridge that's ahead of you that spans the water between you and the island the keep is on. As the door hits that drawbridge, it seems to age very, very quickly and falls apart and crumbles and molds and rots away before your eyes. Uh, for the first time, you guys hear Borwin speak and he says, You don't see that in you said those creatures were fey. Looks like there's more magic around here. Yes, it certainly does. Uh, let let me see here, if you don't if you don't mind. And Gwilym will kind of worm his way towards the front, and uh, extending a hand, he will cast detect magic by uttering Kenfoot Hood. So what detect magic does is uh, it he sends out a pulse that registers the presence of magic. Um, I don't get anything else back about like what kind of magic or what it is. I just know whether or not there is magic. What's the what's the range like on that? Um, it is yep yeah, okay thirty foot emanation. So anything thirty feet away from me, I learn if there's magic. Yeah, unfortunately, you're not detecting any kind of magic within that thirty foot emanation. So whatever caused that effect uh, is either non-magical or not that close. Hmm. Well, this is certainly curious. I'm I'm not detecting any magic close by, so at least it uh, seems magically safe to step out onto the drawbridge. I'm not sure about the actual drawbridge itself. There's only one way to find out. Jack is going to take a step forward onto the bridge. Okay, yeah, so I mean, you move onto the bridge. It's, it's about 20 feet across before the large single door to the main entrance to Gauntlight Keep. It's about 10 feet wide. You step onto it. You know, it creaks a little bit, but you know, it doesn't seem too, uh, too alarming or anything like that. Jack is going to turn around back to his companions and say, It seems stable, but... Be careful, nonetheless. Who's going next? Alright, uh, V will go next, since she is probably the lightest character here. She'll walk across. Then she want to open that door. This grand door is eight feet tall, just a couple of feet shy of the ceiling to this first floor. It's made out of wood, similar to the other doors you came across. Gray with age, swollen, uh, ancient. You try it, and it's a little bit resistant, again, swollen into this door frame, but you're able to push it, and it creaks open, swings inside. What you see inside this entryway to Gauntlight Keep are piles of rotting timbers and loose stones lying in heaps through a great hall. 
Clumps of moss and tangled vines spill down from gaps in the wooden ceiling above each of these piles of rubble in here. Several doors leading out on all sides are barely hanging onto their door frames. Debris completely blocks a stairway that goes up into a hole in the ceiling, leading to what was probably once the second floor. It's as dark in here as it was in the other building. He will move in. Jack will move in as well. Well, Borwin, uh, I'm not sure what Rin has gotten us into, but we've allowed ourselves to get into it. Indeed, friend. Well, if you'd like, I'd suggest you go first. Okay. I want to. And Gwillem will just go ahead and take the invitation, and we'll walk across. <laughs> All right. So yeah, you, you walk across this drawbridge over there, too. After he goes, uh, V will whistle Henry over. All right, so, uh, okay, so we, we got, uh, you know, the, the dog and Gwillem have gone across. Borin being the last to cross the bridge, he will clench his fist, hands shaking, Take a deep breath and proceed forward through the bridge. Well, you make it about halfway across. The bridge gives a great groan and a creak. Your foot punches a hole through the planks and you fall halfway in. Then the chains creak and the links snap and you fall straight Are through. No! Down into the murky water below, out of sight of everybody else, into the darkness. Alone. The instant Borwin hits the water, he's overcome by a memory of her. It was the summer of 09. The sun was hot, but there was a pleasant breeze at the top of the cliff south of Otari. I was 21 years old, in much better shape than I am now, and she's the that was the first time I saw the spark in her eyes. That suggestion of a smile at the corner of her perfect lips. Her hand touches my cheek and she jumps. Look at her down there. It was like the water was waiting just for her. It wrapped around her like an embrace. Come on, Boren, the fall isn't so scary if you don't look down. I just stood there. I was afraid. I was afraid of the fall. Afraid of embarrassing myself in front of her. But I'm already looking down. Coward. You can do it, I promise you. I'll be right here when you get down. Jump, you idiot. You're wasting time. But isn't the water too cold? I don't think I'd like it. You have to jump. Well, what if I come back up and we'll jump in together? Don't waste this opportunity. Live, you fool. Uh, I, I, I think I could do that. You're lying to her. She'll climb back up to the top and you'll just disappoint her. She starts to swim towards the shore. Don't let the fear ruin what you have. Just jump. 